Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky another fascinating and diverse united soccer coaches podcast coming your way we kick off the show talking about the fact that applications are now open for scholarships from the amazing United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Jay Engown has done an amazing job. He will soon be passing over the baton as chair to Ralph Polson. Jay Engown and Ralph Polson talk about the fact that right now through late September, applications for United Soccer Coaches Foundation scholarships are open and available. You do need to apply. A couple months ago, we had on Dr. Stern and Matt Robach from Boston University talking about an important study being conducted right now out of Boston University that is called HITS, the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study, H-I-T-S-S. You can learn more by going to hitss.org. Today, Matt Roebuck returns, but he returns with Dr. Ann McKee, who actually conducted the autopsy on former Major League Soccer player Scott Vermillion, who had CTE. The discussion is fascinating. And believe it or not, we meet the last member of our current 30 under 30 class with mad props to Remy Mays from the United Soccer Coaches for bringing forward all 30 members. We meet Josh Potter, our final member of this past year's group. That's our show. And it starts after this message from our amazing presenting sponsor, Lee Gaps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, proud to host the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps, and proud to work with so many great people from United Soccer Coaches. That includes Sarah Kluba, the Development Officer for United Soccer Coaches, and the National Staff Liaison for the United Soccer Coaches Foundation and who, by the way, is getting married in October. Congratulations to Sarah and her fiance. She reminded me this week that the United Soccer Coaches Foundation scholarship application process is now open, and we wanted to use the United Soccer Coaches podcast and the first segment to promote the opportunity for you or someone you know to apply for a scholarship. And in typical Sarah Kluba form, she provided us with two superstars to talk about the United Soccer Coaches Foundation and the scholarship application. That includes Jay Engown, who served as the association's president in 2000 and won the Robert W. Robinson High School Long-Term Service Award in 2017, and Ralph 
Ralph Polson, who held the same post as president in 2012 and won the Bill Jeffrey College Long-Term Service Award in 2018. Jay Engown, as you all know, is the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Scholarship and Grants Scholarship Subcommittee Chair, but he will be stepping down at the end of this year and Ralph Polson will be taking over. Jay Engown saying that it was obviously a tough decision for him as he has been involved with the foundation since it was reactivated in 2003, as well as being the board liaison with the committee exploring the feasibility of a foundation in the 1990s, more than 25 years in all. And with that, Jay Engown was kind enough to provide some history on the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. So before I bring in Jay Engown and Ralph Poson. I wanted to start with the original vision of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. The idea for a National Soccer Coaches Association of America, of course, then known as the NSCAA Foundation, now the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee, was first introduced by then President Bill Holloman at a 1989 board of directors meeting. He then spoke of the concept of a foundation during his president's remarks at the 1989 convention. In a meeting with incoming President Peter Gooding, Holloman expressed his desire to get the foundation started and wrote a $100 check as an initial donation. After hearing about Holloman's contribution, Hank Steinbrecher also wrote a check. The formation and organization of the foundation was developed and expanded under later presidents. In 1989, the first grant, known as the Taos Soccer Project, supported coaching education and youth programs for the eight Native American Pueblos located north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. This grant was not actually funded by the foundation committee, but by a vote of support taken by the NSCAA board following a presentation made by Region 7 Representative Jay Engown outlining the outreach initiative. Coaching education courses and youth clinics taught by Jay Engown and Colorado College's men's coach and, of course, United Soccer Coaches Hall of Famer Horace Richardson were provided. Uniforms, balls, goals, and shoes were provided through support from the Soccer Industry Council of America. The Ford Motor Company provided vans to transport young players between the eight Pueblos. That was the beginning vision, the vision becoming a reality, NSCA Foundation Standing Committee approved in 1991. We'll have more on that in a moment directly from Jay Engown, but let me start by introducing Jay Engown as Jay, it's time. Applications are now open to receive United Soccer Coaches Foundation scholarships. And that's the message we need to start with. So Jay, because you've done such an amazing job for such a long time, I'll let you start with the timing of this interview. Okay, just to clarify, the foundation's done an amazing job, not just me. But we do have the scholarship and grant application process open. So we encourage coaches to please go to the United Soccer Coaches website, click on scholarships. It's right there. And as soon as you open things up, it'll take you to a link for either education scholarships, convention scholarships, or host a course grants. And we're just excited to have this open again. It will be open until September 23rd at midnight, but we encourage coaches to get your applications in early. That's a perfect point because September 23rd, Jay, will be here before you know it. So the people that need to apply, they need to apply now, right? I would start 
as soon as they can, especially the high school coaches are going to be getting very busy here very soon. It's probably better to do it now than when you start getting into the middle of your season. I really appreciate your comment about it's more than just you with the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. I'll have more throughout this interview on the amazing history, the vision, the vision becoming a reality, the foundation committee reactivated, the vision without Funding is just an elucidation. The first capital campaign, the case for support, $1 million endowment campaign. I remember that distinctly. The vision continues to expand. We'll break that down. But most importantly, when you think about the foundation, who does it help the most? You know, the focus is for our underserved coaching population to try to provide financial support for them to get top quality education programs, either as an individual or for their community. And Jay, before we talk about the handoff to Ralph, I feel like repetition is information. So we'll remind everybody again about the application process, but you very kindly said it wasn't just you. However, after I think almost 30 years, you are going to hand over the leadership spot to Ralph Poston, who we're going to bring in after you answer this question. Talk about your decision to hand it over and then talk about picking the perfect person in Ralph Polson. Right now, I've got three grandsons under the age of four. It's keeping me busy. But really, I've been doing this for 27 years. The foundation has been a passion of mine. But long term, you need to look at how you transition and want to make sure this transition is as smooth as possible. Ralph has been kind of joining me on every step of the process this past year. When we do the final selection in Kansas City, Ralph will be there. And then from then on, he will be the chair of the awards and selection subcommittee. It's important for me to have it be smooth and more importantly, to have a quality person taking over the role. Ralph, you just heard that. And Ralph, you know how we all feel about you. Everybody at the association, everybody that's ever come across you, like Jay, you're a true gentleman. When you hear him make that comment about you taking over this leadership, how's it make you feel, Ralph, as you take on this important job, sir? It was humbling to get the call from Jay. It's an opportunity to continue to give to the association and through the foundation. And the foundation's become very important to me. And throughout my career, I've been fortunate enough to have funding along the way, either through the colleges or universities that I worked at, to be able to attend the convention, to be able to attend education courses. And knowing the community that we're trying to reach out to, to be able to be a part of that and to help those in need receive the same kind of benefits that I've been fortunate enough to receive through the years. It's a big deal. So earlier, Jay, as we focused on the history of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, I opened with the vision written by you, which was outstanding. And I mentioned the vision becoming a reality. NSCAA Foundation Standing Committee approved. That was in 1991. Continuing to read your great work, it says, discussion about the formation of a foundation began in 1991 and continued until an organizational meeting was held at the 1994 convention. An NSCAA Foundation Standing Committee was formally established by the board in January 1995. And Jay, there are some big time names involved in that. Yes, back in the early 90s, the standing committee was started, chaired by Ray Burnaby, and those members included Ron Broadbent, Miller Biliari, Whitey Burnham, Ray Sieplick, Mickey Cochran, Bob DeGrazio, myself, Bill Holloman, Bob Nye, and Karen Stanley. Awesome group, and they laid the groundwork where the committee could be reactivated and function as it is today. So then, Ralph, 
continue to read Jay's great work, after the 2000 Convention Honor Award dinner, Mr. Engown volunteered to reestablish the Foundation Committee once he completed his board term as past president. Work began in 2002 to look into the feasibility of reactivating the committee. At the 2003 convention, the committee was reactivated and the first formal meeting was held. Committee members present at the meeting were Jay Engown as the chair, Dr. Ray Sieplick, Bill Holloman, Warren Mercero, Hank Steinbrecher, Janet Rayfield, Peter Gooding, Steve Veal, and Chris Weiss, who was the national staff liaison. Ralph, those names and the names previously mentioned by Jay Engown are super impressive. How's it feel to now have your name associated with those names? To think that I have been given a bit of that legacy title is amazing. And, and it's not something I, I've uh, tried to achieve. It's just been an opportunity through the years. Actually, I'll receive my 40th year membership pin in, in January, but it's been an opportunity just to give back to the association that's done so much for me. I can continue to serve on this committee and many others throughout the years, and I'll never feel like I've done enough to compensate for what the association's done for me. And when you hear that list of names of members of uh, the foundation committee, it makes me proud to know that I have attained that level. Well said, Ralph. And as I continue to read the great historical perspective on the United Soccer Coaches Foundation as written by J.N. Gown. I start with vision without funding is just an hallucination. The first capital campaign reading again from Jay Engown, it says, in a July 2003 conference call, Jay Engown and Chris Weiss outlined the committee mission statement, areas of focus, and the proposed cornerstone campaign timeline. Following unanimous approval by the committee members, this information was then shared with the executive committee in September 2003. The campaign was approved by the board and a silent campaign was initiated in December. The cornerstone campaign was presented to the membership by Dr. Ray Sieplik at the 2004 Convention Honor Award Banquet. The stated monetary goal of the cornerstone campaign was $100,000, which was achieved just two years later. The first former grants from the committee were awarded in 2005. The recipients were the Ames Soccer Club and the Southwest Youth Services. In addition, the committee continued its support for America Scores, Soccer in the Streets, and Special Olympics through a soccer jersey raffle at the convention and checkoff boxes on the convention registration form. Also in 2005, Jay N. Gown represented the committee and school principals at the Tsunami Relief Summit sponsored by former Presidents George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton and the Indo-Asian Ambassador to the United States. Jay N. Gown's role was serving as a chair of a subcommittee looking at how to rebuild both K-12 education and recreation programs, particularly soccer, after the infrastructure was repaired. In 2006, a unique project was proposed by the committee and approved by the board, along with a grant to the Starfinder Foundation to provide up to 29 unrestricted mini-grants of $500 each to NSCAA members directly impacted by the 2005 hurricanes in the Gold Coast region. In 2007, the named endowment fund initiative was introduced. Two years later, the first two scholarships were awarded for the Michael L. Curry Scholarship Fund and the Jerry and Marilyn Yagley Scholarship Fund. In July 2010, negotiations were completed to merge the Walt Chiswitz Fund with the Foundation Committee and establish a named endowment fund in Walt's name. The number of named funds has increased steadily every year. In 2022, there are a total of 29 established endowed funds. Ralph. 
hearing all of that and also hearing your message earlier about how much you appreciated the colleges that you worked for giving you free access to everything the United Soccer Coaches had to offer, you know what it means to be able to be involved with United Soccer Coaches through the foundation. Sure. As we get those applications and we sit down and read those applications and to see the need of those individuals and to be able to award them a scholarship to attend the convention or an education course to experience what our association has to offer and for them to become an active part of that, it's a special thing. It really is. Continuing to read the history of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, the next subtitle says the case for support, $1 million endowment campaign. Again, reading the great words of Jay Engown, who I will go to after I read this, it says, following the success of the Cornerstone campaign, the committee began to explore additional ways to support its expanding outreach initiatives. Work began by the committee in 2006 to develop a written plan for fundraising and following the January 2007 Foundation Committee meeting, a proposal was presented to the board. Doug Orr, a volunteer with expertise in development, played a key role working with the committee on this endeavor. The fundraising plan included suggestions for new language in the mission statement, a second capital campaign, planned giving, and development of a, quote, compelling case for support and urgency in justifying an endowment campaign, end quote. Hank Steinbrecher was named as the honorary chair for the endowment campaign, the Foundation Committee proposal, an endowment campaign with a goal of raising $1 million by 2020, was presented to the board and was endorsed and promoted by NSCAA President Al Albert. I remember that like it was yesterday. The endowment campaign became a part of the NSCAA strategic plan and the goal was reached in 2018 during Albert's tenure as Foundation Committee Chair. As the vision continued to expand, Al Albert was instrumental in the continued growth of the now United Soccer Coaches Foundation. As the association president, he was a passionate advocate for the foundation committee. After he rotated off the board, he volunteered to become more involved with the foundation and join the committee. His expertise in fundraising proved extremely valuable. He accepted an invitation from J.N. Gallon to assume the chair duties of the committee in 2012. Under Al Albert's leadership, the Foundation Committee continued to flourish with the endowment reaching the $1 million goal two years ahead of schedule, increasing the number of named endowment funds, and establishing the Legacy Society. Legacy Society donors share their love of the game and the value of coaching education by ensuring support of Foundation Committee outreach programs for future generations. Jay, I remember that $1 million goal. It was so exciting. Al took over in 2012. The foundation committee developed a plan, which then became a part of the NSCA strategic plan. At that time, Al was president, and he did an awesome job of supporting and emphasizing the need to make this happen. So his role as president really 
focused on how to support the foundation. And then when he finished as past president, he immediately joined the foundation. That's where that came from. We hit that goal during Al's tenure as the chair. That was a a great milestone for the foundation to hit. Continuing to read the history of the foundation as written by Jay Engown, as the outreach of the committee expanded, the need to modify the structure and the size of the committee became evident. To better address the expanding needs, five subcommittees were established in 2012. Events, chaired by Jacqueline S.K., fundraising, chaired by Al Albert, grants and awards, chaired by J.N. Gown, investment and finance, chaired by Brian Green, and marketing and communications, chaired by Mike Curry. The first full-time foundational committee development officer, Jared Hedgeland, was named to the position in 2013 with support from the New York Red Bulls organization. Hedgeland worked from his office at the Red Bulls headquarters. He was followed by Amanda Mitchell in 2016, who worked from the association's national office in Kansas City, Missouri. Jerry Yegley, the godfather, played a key role in helping to secure the foundation's first corporate sponsor. Adidas came on board as one of the early named endowment fund sponsors, as well as the foundation committee reception event sponsor in 2013. The second corporate sponsor, Subair, added their financial support to the foundation committee in 2020. Jeff Fennell, another association past president, took over the reins of the committee in 2019. Coaches Give has now become the formal fundraising arm of the Foundation Committee. From 2019 to 2021, the Urban Soccer Initiative, supported by Target, had a significant impact on underserved urban communities with $372,000 in grants awarded. More than 2,250 scholarships were provided to coaches financially impacted by COVID-19 to allow them to remain active members of the association. More than 900 individuals participated in urban education courses. Sarah Kluba, remember we started it with her name, was named the third United Soccer Coaches Development Officer in 2020, providing continued support to the Foundation Committee. And Jay, I'll go back to you as well as Ralph. It's so important to have somebody at the headquarters be a key liaison to the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. Yeah, Sarah is just instrumental in helping us do what we need to do. I mean, especially being that link to get things out into the uh, journal, to get things on the website, to coordinate things like what we're doing right now with you. I would say right now she's indispensable as far as the foundation is concerned. I would echo Jay's remarks. And one, one of the things about Sarah too is she's a behind the scenes person. It's so hard to get her out front but she works so hard as that liaison and the information that she provides to the entire foundation committee and also to our subcommittee is tremendous. As you take over, Ralph, is there a big number that you have in mind or are you going to absorb things a little while before you say, hey, we need to reach this amount? I think it's just kind of getting my footing along the way. Let's work with what we've got. What I'd like to see is to uh, an increase in the number of scholarships. I think we have 30 established scholarships now. I want to see that number grow, see some, some more people step forward to create these endowed scholarships so that we can continue to help those that are in need. Jay, I'm going to go back to you and read one of the last parts of this incredible historical perspective you have on the history of the United Soccer Coaches foundation and give me a minute to read this but it says since the reactivation of the foundation committee in 2003 only three individuals have served as committee chairs jn gown al albert and jeff finnell 
and all five of the original voting members from the 2003 committee roster continue to serve. Obviously, Ralph Polson is going to add his name to that list as a chair. Three members from the NSCA Foundation Standing Committee, Dr. Ray Sieplick, you again, J.N. Gown, and Bill Holloman, have been continually involved with the Foundation Committee since the early 1990s. The, quote, impact of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation Committee has been significant, with 243 scholarships and or grants valued at $455,000 distributed and 10 good-of-the-game grants being provided. The generosity of our donors does make a difference. Coaches do indeed give back to the game they love, and you say so eloquently, Jay, Thank you to all those that have donated money and or time over the years. With your help, the vision that Bill Holloman had in 1989 has truly become a reality. With an exclamation point, I'd like you, Jay, to add an exclamation point on those amazing numbers. You know, actually, I just got chill bumps as you read that. Those numbers are from the generosity of people. And together, we made a difference. And hopefully, we're going to continue to positively impact our membership coaches that need help getting coaching education as well as developmental funds for soccer in their communities. Not just across the US, we've become global in the scholarships we've had. Canada, Mexico, Africa, we've had scholarship recipients from those countries, several European countries as well. Both of you have done so much to move the game forward on so many <clears throat> different levels. I got to believe that every once in a while at the convention, one of these scholarship winners, for lack of a better word, honorees, award recipients, I'm not quite sure you tell me the exact word to use there. I believe you've ran into some of them, right? You talk about getting chills. That must definitely give you chills. You know, it does. And one of the highlights of at least the convention scholarship piece is when they would attend the awards dinner. And we would make a point of introducing them to all of the red aprons that were there, as well as some of the past presidents. And typically the recipients are gonna be inducted into the Hall of Fame or the Honor Award. And that made a very positive impression on those individuals' recipients. And they were genuinely so appreciative of uh, the opportunity that they had. I wanna share just one other story and this actually has to go back to the very first grant that was given, it was actually given by the board because the foundation wasn't around yet. It was the Tao Soccer Project. And it was both training coaches and kids from the eight Pueblos north of Santa Fe. My wife and I were down in Santa Fe a couple of years ago, ran into a woman in one of the uh, Native American shops. She was now coaching a team in Taos and she was one of the young kids that was part of that first clinic. So those are the kinds of things you like to see where what goes around comes around and you see growth of the game and the passion for the game continue to another generation. So well said, Ralph, as I go to you, one of the things I love about you is, and I mean this with the highest <laughs> level of respect, is you're very much like me in that 
you're soft, you're sensitive, right? You wear it on your sleeve. You often talk about it when you were president, particularly when you had your wife up there. We got to see it. We got to witness it firsthand. Now in this role where you will be making such a big impact on people's lives, particularly I would think young people's lives, maybe even inner city young people's lives, I got to believe that's going to be super emotional yet exciting for you. Without a doubt. And, and Dean, I, I, I'm not embarrassed to say that I, my emotion, I wear my emotions on my sleeve and my kids wouldn't make fun of me that I'll cry in a, in a heartbeat. But <laughs> um, no, it, it is. It's special. And, and as you read through, you know, as we read through the, the, the applications, um, it's, I'm always touched. I'm always moved by the applications and, and you know, how they see that uh, this opportunity through the foundation uh, with a scholarship or a grant can, can impact the, the community with which it, they work and, and, and they coach. And, and it's, so it's a, it's a big deal. And to, to hear, you know, Jay's story there and to have had the opportunity to meet some of these scholarship winners either convention scholarships or, or the, the education scholarship winners through the years. It, it, and to hear their story, it really is a feel-good moment and something that you carry with you for a long time. Ralph, you have always had your hands around the association. And I know one important fund, the Walt Chiswick Fund, is now tied to the foundation. Can you touch on that history? Because you were involved in that history. One of the largest funds is the Walt Chiswitz Fund. And from 2004 through 2012, Ralph Lundy and I managed that fund. In 2004, Joe Mack came to Ralph Lundy and I and asked us to manage the fund. So from 2004 through 2012, we managed the fund. We awarded education scholarships through the fund. We supported the um, annual reception, the Lifetime Achievement Award that's given. But we realized to continue the fund, we needed some help. We needed to get it into part of the foundation so that we could see it grow and so that we can continue. Because I think the path that we were on, we may have gone belly up. And so by moving it to the foundation, it's now grown significantly and has allowed us to continue to give, I think it's up to three scholarships a year from that particular fund and still able to host our annual reception and give the Lifetime Achievement Award every year. We've also brought the Charlotte Moran Award part of the foundation as well. Same thing. They give their scholarship. The Women's Committee is still the one that actually does the selection of that applicant. But by bringing it under the foundation, we're able to look at females that maybe just applied in the past for the Charlotte Moran Award, but didn't necessarily apply for a scholarship through our foundation. Now it's all under one umbrella, and I think we're able to increase our number of female applicants for scholarships, which is a very positive thing. Last word time, and then what we'll have is an extra last word is we'll let Jay remind everybody one more time with Sarah Kluba and Ralph, you coming in. But Jay, as I think about your last word, and you just heard Ralph talk about his emotion, we already touched on the fact that you're handing the gavel over to the very esteemed Ralph Polson. But collectively, as you soak it all in, what this has meant, what the foundation has meant, what the association has meant, how can you put into words how proud you are? It's been exciting to see this grow and incredibly proud of what everybody associated with the foundation has been able to do. It's, it's been really awesome to, to see this happen from when, you know, the first year we gave two scholarships to now we've, we've given a total of 243 over the years, scholarships and grants 
plus the 10 good of the game scholarships. So that's huge. And that impact continues on to future generations. So, I mean, I'm thinking this foundation is probably impacted, you know, it's probably getting into the hundreds of thousands. If you start counting every kid that's played, that's come associated with a coach that's come through our program, it's, that's quite an impact. And I'm incredibly excited to see this uh, where it is today. So really positive. Great. And Ralph, last word time for you as you take on this new opportunity. Well, what Jay doesn't realize is he may be stepping down and passing the baton to me, but he is a speed dial away from uh, still being a part of it. I will be reaching out to him for, you know, for advice along the way, his input along the way, what he and those that have come before me have, have been able to accomplish is amazing. And I just hope that I am able to, uh, you know, when it's time for me to step down and know that I've had the same kind of impact that, that Jay has had along the way. As promised, we'll end with you, Jay, because it's time to apply for these scholarships courtesy of the United Soccer Coaches Foundation, Sarah Kluba put both of you forward. Couldn't have asked for two better people, particularly with the handoff. Jay, as clear as you can, tell people why it's important to apply and make sure they know that cutoff date, please, sir. You know, go to the United Soccer Coaches website. The applications are there for either convention scholarships, education scholarships, or host of course grants. Also on the website is a guidebook to help you with the application process. Application deadline is September 23rd at midnight. They have to be in by that time for the education scholarships and convention scholarships. You do have to be a member for the host of course grants. That membership piece is not required, but we really do look forward to getting a, a significant number of applicants and we'd love to be able to give our coaches some of these scholarships. Jay, I know I'm speaking uh, for Ralph Post and the entire association when I say thank you so much for all the work you've done with the foundation. Thank you. And, and Ralph, you're going to do a great job. Jay, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Dean, uh, we appreciate this opportunity to spend some time with you. Always my pleasure, Ralph. Always my pleasure, Jay. And always my pleasure to talk about the amazing work being done by the United Soccer Coaches Foundation. When we return, we have another visit talking about the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study coming out of Boston University as well as a university in California. It stands for HITS, H-I-T-S-S. -S. Again, the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study. Matt Roebuck pushed it forward with Brandon Milburn and Dr. Missy Price and Jeff Van Dusen. Earlier, we had Dr. Stern on, and the response was tremendous from United Soccer Coaches, increasing enrollment in this study. Joining Matt Roebuck from the study at Boston U is another world-renowned doctor, Dr. Ann McKee who actually did the autopsy on former Major League Soccer player, including a player who spent a long time with the Kansas City MLS team, Scott Vermillion, who it was discovered had CTE. Dr. McKee will talk about Scott Vermillion and the importance of this study. Once again, it's called the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study. Dr. Ann McKee and Matt Roebuck join me after these messages. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. 
United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League App. Several weeks ago, we had an incredible visit with the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study known as HITS, H-I-T-S-S, reminding you why HITS? Well, exposure to repetitive hits to the head through participation in contact and collision sports has been associated with later life brain disease and disorders. Although much attention has focused on concussions in recent years, research has indicated that the more common subconcussive hits, i.e. head impacts from ordinary plays such as heading a soccer ball or routine of blocking and tackling football that do not result in the symptoms of concussion may play an even more important role in later life brain health and functioning. These repetitive head impacts over a period of time may increase risk for later life mood and behavioral changes as well as memory and thinking impairments. There have been significant advances in the research in recent years. However, they are limited by focusing solely on former professional tackle football players and or including only small numbers of male participants. Therefore, critical gaps in scientific knowledge remain and many important questions need to be answered. That's why the leaders of HITS have been asking for people to get involved and be a part of this study. Kicking it off a couple months ago was Matt Roebuck, the recruitment coordinator for Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study, Boston University School of Medicine, and Matt Roebuck is back. Matt, thanks for coming back and uh, getting us caught up on the study. Thanks for having me again and originally as well. We had a nice conversation the last time. I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, the last time we were with Dr. Stern, who pretty much is heading up this study, I think the principal as you would call them. This time we're going to be joined by Dr. Ann McKee. Before I introduce Dr. Ann McKee, in just two short months, we feel like the podcast made a difference as far as increasing the number of participants. Can you update us on that statement? Yeah, absolutely. It made a difference. You know, we still need thousands more to participate, but in the days and weeks after our conversation, it was great that your listeners responded. We had five to six times increase daily in our traffic to our website and in people actually enrolling into the study. And so it was a great response attributed, I'm sure, to your listeners just feeling connected to the conversation we had and and wanting to help. So it was a tremendous boost for us. It's a longitudinal study. So we've got three and a half more years of enrolling participants and we need thousands more. So hopefully, again, your listeners will respond. And those of them who are listening for the first time or maybe didn't have an opportunity the last time, we are still enrolling anyone 40 years or older who played soccer or tackle football but probably particularly in this case, your audience being soccer coaches uh, who played soccer at any level, at any point in their lives, youth only, high school, college, or beyond can enroll into our online survey. It's easy to do, and it'll help us find answers to important questions about some of those repetitive head impact concerns as far as any gender disparities, how many head impacts are too many, does the age of first head impact play a role? in later life brain health risks. Finding those answers is is so critically important. It was great 
to see the response and hopefully if people will respond as well again this time. And what are the questions? Well, I'll go ahead and give them to you and then we'll bring in Dr. Ann McKee. The goal of HITS is to answer questions about risk for later life cognitive and behavioral decline. These include, but are not limited to the following. Does playing soccer or tackle football increase the risk? Does the age of first starting to play tackle football or soccer make a difference in risk levels? Are there differences in risk between women's and men's soccer? If someone never had a concussion while playing soccer or tackle football, are they still at risk? How many head impacts are too many? Do former soccer players who headed the ball frequently have a greater risk than those who did not head the ball much? Do certain positions within these sports have elevated risk? Are people who only played youth soccer or tackle football at similar risk compared to people who never played these sports at any level? Are former professional football players at greater risk than former college or high school players? Do other health and lifestyle factors play a role in increasing or decreasing these risks? To help answer these questions, researchers at Boston University and the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, have teamed up to create the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study. HITS is funded by a grant from the National Institutes of Neurological Disorders and Stroke and the National Institute on Aging. And we've teased her, and here she comes, Dr. Ann McKee. She's an expert neuropathologist in degenerative diseases of brain. She's autopsied thousands of brains and has particular interest over the last 15 years in people with particularly history of head trauma. Closer to home, she did the autopsy on Scott Vermillion, a major league soccer player, particularly known for his time in Kansas City, where United Soccer Coaches is located and he did die and was diagnosed with CTE. We'll have more on that in a moment from Dr. McKee. And with that, Dr. McKee, who did her undergrad at Wisconsin, did her medical work at Case Western and is a star, is joining us now. We're thrilled to have you, Dr. McKee. Thanks for being a part of this important discussion. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. First off, you heard Matt Roebuck say that after he and Dr. Stern visited this podcast a couple months ago, it increased the number of members in the study. Just your initial thoughts on that. How important is it to get to that number? Oh, the numbers are are absolutely critical to the research. We can't do the research without participation from soccer players, former soccer players, former football players. That's true for the HIT study. That's true for my work looking at the brains of the deceased athletes. We've made light years of progress based on participation of these individuals. And I expect over the ensuing five to 10 years, we'll continue to make tremendous advances. Understanding, Dr. McKee, that there are a lot of rules and regulations around HIPAA and how much you can release on medical terms, but as it relates to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, which you are on right now, obviously Scott Vermillion is a name near and dear to everyone who follows soccer. You did the autopsy. What can you share about what you learned as it relates to getting more people involved in this study? Well, I can share everything I know about Scott Vermillion because I have complete permission from the family. Well, first of all, what we know about what he was like during life, he played soccer for 22 years. He started at age five. He was a frequent header of the ball, actually even beginning around age 22. So early in his 20s, he started having some difficulties described as impulse control issues, aggression, some depression, and he got involved in alcohol and substance use. The substance use was primarily narcotics for his pain. He was developing pain 
back pain and other injury related pain. And about that time, he becomes more apathetic. He starts to withdraw socially. And over his 30s and early 40s, he becomes depressed, anxious. He has memory issues. He has trouble remembering his son's soccer game. He has trouble picking him up from various events. And he goes into a downward spiral. And this downward spiral is not that unusual. He starts overusing medications that give him some comfort. He had painful headaches. He had all these depression, anxiety symptoms. And like many others before him, he gets into a situation where he's using multiple medications. No one's paying attention to him. He's withdrawn from society. He's not being attended to by his family who loves him and is very concerned about him, but he's just withdrawing. Ultimately, he dies of a drug overdose, a polypharmacy, just taking multiple drugs unattended. And what we found at autopsy and what we've seen in so many other football players, soccer players, rugby ice hockey, what we found in Scott's brain was that he had CTE. This disease is a neurodegenerative disease. It slowly robs you of your normal ability to function, and it's characterized by the buildup of a tau protein. This is an abnormal protein, and that's how we make the diagnosis, by looking for this pattern of tau protein in the brain, which Scott had. He had the CTE lesions in his frontal lobes, in his parietal lobes. It was beginning to affect deep interior parts of the brain, the medial temporal lobes, which control memory and learning. It was also invading his brainstem areas of the brain that we think might be associated with depression. And so we diagnosed him with CTE. We called it stage two CTE. There's four possible stages where four is the absolute worst, the kind of CTE we see in 70 and 80 year olds who are demented and can't take care of themselves. But Scott's was stage two. It's a progressive disorder. And over time, if Scott hadn't died, in my opinion, would have gotten worse slowly, and he would have been increasingly impaired as he approached his 50s and 60s. I may be wrong on this, Dr. McKee, but from where I sit, I feel like one of the more high-profile CTE cases was the NFL Hall of Famer, Junior Seau, who's got some kids that are now playing college sports, maybe even playing professional sports. Can you draw any comparatives between Junior Seau and what you discovered from Scott Vermillion? Yeah, I think you'll find it. Uh, and I think they were uh, fairly similar in age when they died. Wasn't Junior Seau 43? Yeah. Um, same, same level of disease, same disease. Junior Seau, as we know, a brilliant player, so popular, so well-liked. But then towards the end of his life, doing some very strange things, his life spiraling out of control again. I believe there was gambling and then the suicide the disease that we saw in the brain was almost identical. The Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study is a fully online annual assessment, as you just heard Matt Roebuck say earlier, including questions about sports participation, repetitive head impact exposure, and concussion history and medical history, computerized memory and cognitive tests and behavior and mood questionnaires. The entire HITS assessment takes just approximately two hours in the comfort and privacy of the participant's home and can be completed at any time and over several days if desired. HITS is an extension of the existing Brain Health Registry at UCSF, an online registry of almost 70,000 participants used for the study of people interested in participating in brain aging, Alzheimer's disease, and AD-related dementias research. Dr. McKee, obviously Matthew Roebuck and even someone like myself helping as the host of this podcast is interested in getting 
participants, you are in the heart of this. You are doing the autopsies to really diagnose what this is all about. In your own words, how important is it to get to this number that, and what's the number, Matt, again, that we're trying to get to? We're talking thousands. We need approximately 5,000 participants, half from tackle football space and then half from soccer space, again, from okay. any level of play, youth only, high school, okay. college, or beyond. Particularly in the soccer space, we need women. We need representation by women to get answers for women and try to close the gender gap. So ideally, we're looking at about 2,500 former soccer players to participate, to enroll and take our survey. And half of those, hopefully, are, are former girls and women soccer players. Matt, thanks for answering that question. And I'll let you respond, Dr. McKee, to the importance of hitting those numbers of 5,000. Well, believe it or not, all the science on CTE is a numbers game. The reason we know so much about the disease pathologically is because we have thousands of brains in the brain bank now. I should say 1,200, so 8,000. And the reason we've gotten there is because of massive influx of families who are concerned about their loved ones. What we do with the brains after death is we're trying to help living players. So we're taking the knowledge that we gain from the tissue to apply it to living players so that we can identify this disease during life and most importantly, so we can develop effective treatments. The HIT study is a study of living participants in extremely critical in terms of learning about the symptoms of this disorder, learning what the players experience firsthand, doing neurologic exams, doing neuropsychological exams, getting the information that'll give us clues as to how this disease affects athletes during life. If we can make an early diagnosis, we have the best chance of curing this disease. And we do think it's treatable, but we just need to get there with the numbers, both living participants, and brain donors. And with the numbers, as you just heard Matt Roebuck say, there is a gender gap in research knowledge about female athletes. One of the goals of HITS is to close the gender gap by enrolling thousands of women to better understand if women face equal risk. Can you also talk on the importance of women getting involved in this study, Dr. McKee? Absolutely. So we do have a, a gender gap. And what we know about women, and particularly women soccer players, is that they may be more susceptible to some of the effects, the negative effects of concussion and what we call subconcussive hits, those hits that are associated with heading the ball. It looks like in available data that the women actually suffer more changes to their white matter, more changes to their neuropsych profile than men. So we absolutely need more women to study. There has been a gender gap because historically these games have been played by men. But as we know with Title IX, now women are playing them and they're playing at all ages. They're playing in kindergarten. They're playing in youth sports. So we really need to understand women's brains compared to men's brains, and they're not the same. Normally, we would pause for a commercial, but I want all of the listeners to the United Soccer Coaches podcast to pay attention. We are not pausing for a commercial. We are pausing for real information from Matt Roebuck on this study. Again, HITS launched in early 2022 and will enroll thousands of people who played soccer 
or tackle football at any level of play, youth, high school, college, semi-pro, or elite professional, currently age 40 or older. Matt Roebuck, you touched on it earlier, but now this is your time to truly tell people how easy this is, where they can do it, and how long it takes. Yeah, it's very easy to enroll. It takes five minutes. Go to our website, hits.org, H-I-T-S-S.org. All the information you need about participation, some great videos from some impressive ambassadors who are voices in this cause for us are available there. It takes a few minutes to enroll. It does take a couple of hours to, to go all the way through the assessment, but you can stop and pause and take your time and come back a day or two days later and finish uh, and work your way through it. But it's so critical to have people, one, come in, learn more about it, enroll certainly, and make your way through it at your own leisure because the information we'll glean from this is so important. And even if you can't participate, if you're not old enough yet, you can still help. You can still be a voice in the cause. You can still amplify our message, telling your former teammates, for your listeners amongst the soccer coaching community, telling your former players, telling the parents of your players, just helping spread our word to get to, to enough people that will act on this and enroll. And again, it's very easy to enroll, hits.org, H-I-T-S-S.org. Check out our, our lists of some cool ambassadors, Alexi Lalas, Taylor Twelman, Brandy Chastain, Yael Averbush, Linda Hamilton, Warren Sapp, Michael Haynes, some real Hall of Famers in these sports who are concerned and want to do more and want to give back to the game and want to give back to the participants within these games, within these sports. Great that you mentioned the Hall of Famers in sport. I think just as important, and I know that sometimes we use the word Hall of Famers a little bit too much, but clearly Dr. Stern, in my view, is a Hall of Famer, and Dr. McKee is a Hall of Famer. And Dr. McKee, before we came on the air, I asked you about your story, and I loved it because I'm on the Big Ten Network. You did your undergrad at Wisconsin. I grew up in Ohio, so I love that you were at Case Western, and I'm a big fan of Boston and Maine. My wife did Outward Bound in Maine, so everything about you I love, but more importantly, I love this passion that you developed for neuropathology. Can you walk us through that and how you found your way here? Oh, sure I can. So I started out, I wanted to be a doctor. My brother was a doctor. I was really inspired by him. He worked with the Indian Health Service. I saw what doctors could do, especially to the underprivileged who don't have a lot of access to medical care. So I went to med school. I thought I was going to be a general practitioner, but I soon got interested more in general internal medicine. First, I started at Madison. That's where I graduated from, from college. Then I went to the Case Western Reserve, and I started out as a general internist. I got very interested in the brain, and I wanted to know as much about the brain. I was a neurologist. And then my last year of neurology training, I had the opportunity to work with a world-famous neuropathologist. And what we did is we uh, you looked at the brains of patients that we had analyzed during life. And I became so enraptured by the fact that you could actually see what was going on with your patient. It provided clues to a, a puzzle, you know, what was happening during life? What were they suffering from? Why were they behaving that way? And then I could look under the microscope and see why. It was so fascinating to me that I decided after all that training, I would be a neuropathologist and I, I wanted to go to train with the best. And they recommended that I go to Boston and study at Mass General Hospital. And that's where I did my neuropathology training. And I haven't looked back since. All of this work with athletes is trying to understand why they behave like they do, why they get into trouble, why they get apathetic, depressed, suicidal. 
And I don't think I'm going to be able to stop. It's been a wild whirlwind course for the last 15 years. I've learned so much. And I think it's so critical to keeping our athletes safe, understanding how these injuries affect athletes, learning how to prevent them, learning how to diagnose them early in life and treat them. And that's what I'm committed to. So I really like the end of your comment right there, because when you do studies like this, where you're looking for a big number, right, and an important number and a, a fairly equal breakdown of gender, and you just kind of hit 10 points of what you want to get out of it, you know, further than that, after you do this study, are you hoping maybe that some of these sports make some changes that will help these athletes down the road? Yes. That's what has to happen. It's not something we want. You know, I'm a big, I, I started out a huge football fan. I can't say I'm a football fan anymore, but you know, none of us want to see these changes. We like our games the way they are, right? But the players are suffering and we can't ignore this fact any longer. We've seen countless football players diagnosed with CTE. Scott Vermillion, a soccer player, is now diagnosed with CTE. He's not the only one. We know CTE is a risk for soccer. We know it's a risk in ice hockey and in rugby. This is a disease that can be prevented. So as much as we like the way the current games are being played, we need to make changes to the rules of play so that the players aren't paying the price for our entertainment. Matt Roebuck, what would you like to add to that? I know you spent a lot of time in pro sports, particularly baseball, where I would suspect there's less of CT issues just on the nature of the sport. But what can you add on to Dr. McKee's astute answer right there? Yeah, I don't know if I'm qualified to add much <laughs> to anything Dr. McKee says, but you're right. I, you know, I was drawn to this project 20 years of working in Major League Baseball with some of the largest names in the game, working very closely day in and day out with people like Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Barry Bonds and Ichiro Suzuki and so many others. But in, in connecting with Dr. Stern and learning about this, it spoke to me from the perspective of the opportunity to give back to these athletes and help find answers for athletes past, present, future. And now I've been very fortunate to speak to so many others, including those ambassadors I had mentioned earlier. Had an incredible conversation recently with Brian Dunseth, who I believe you're familiar with, captain of the 2000 Olympic team, men's Olympic soccer team. An amazing conversation. In private, he's done some podcasts recently. Was, he was friends with Scott Vermillion. And it was just a, a a validation and a motivation and inspiration for me in hearing Brian speak to his concerns and concerns that he's hearing from his teammates and so many others reaching out to him and wanting help and wanting answers and wanting to know what's going on. Like Dr. McKee said, it, you know, the research is indicating there is a problem, but we need to find out more. We need to find out more about the hows and whys so that athletes parents, coaches, athletic directors, healthcare professionals can make informed decisions. I don't think any of us are doing this, even in my small part, are doing this to eliminate or have conversations on any level about, you know, taking away or this cancel culture of, of the sport. But changes have been made for years to make the game safer. And particularly when you're talking about at youth levels, what can we do to make 
the sport safer, I think is the important thing for all of us here. Last word time, Dr. McKee, we'll go to you first, as again, we're reminding everybody that the Head Impact and Trauma Surveillance Study is asking these questions. Are you age 40 or older? Did you play soccer or tackle football at any level? We need your help finding answers to important questions about brain health risks from repetitive head impacts in soccer and tackle football. And leading the charge are some of the most renowned doctors in this country, if not the world. With that, Dr. McKee, I'd like you to comment first on the collaboration with people like Dr. Stern and other accomplished doctors, both at Boston and out in California with the university out there as well. And then as you close, maybe just what you really want people to hear. If they heard nothing else, you know, again, talk about the collaboration with the doctors, but if they hear nothing else about this important study, but your final comment, I want to hear what that would be. First on scientific collaborations, the way we get the answers fastest is by using the best minds all over the world, acting together to accelerate science. Dr. Stern and I have worked together for the last 15 years. I've worked with scientists at University of California, San Francisco for the last three or four years. We are working now with Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Germany, Scotland, England. This is a worldwide wide problem. And we need all the best minds in the world to try to figure out the answers. So that's number one. Collaboration is the fastest way to accelerate the science. And so we are doing that. We are working with so many brilliant minds from all over the world. And that brings up actually an investigator from Scotland. He had a report in the New England Journal a few years ago. He did a survey of thousands of soccer players. I can't remember the actual number, but he found that soccer players are five times more likely to die of a neurodegenerative disease that looks like Alzheimer's disease. But of course, CTE could be in there because CTE in many players looks like Alzheimer's disease. So that's a risk, five times more likely to die of a disease that looks like Alzheimer's. They are four times more likely to die from motor neuron disease or some ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, as it's sometimes called. They are twice as likely to die from Parkinson's disease. So that just gives you an idea how important this work is, why we need to get more people into hits so we can study them during life, get as many clues from them in terms of their blood markers, their, their spinal fluid markers, their imaging, from their exams so that we can apply that to future and current athletes to keep them safe. This will take a broad approach. It will require scientists from all over working in many sports, but we can make a difference. We can make these games safe. It just requires that we stop ignoring it and we start doing something. Dr. McKee, I feel like I speak for everybody at United Soccer Coaches, which if you didn't know is the world's largest soccer coaches entity. It's the biggest in the world. And we salute you for your tireless work for this all important cause and particularly collaborating on this HITS program and more importantly, sharing your time on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you for all you do and all you continue to do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for helping get the word out. It's my pleasure. Matt Roebuck, last word time. That means make sure people know where they got to go and what they got to do. Yes, absolutely. First off, again, thank you. And to the United Soccer Coaches Leadership for having us, Jeff Van Dusen, uh, Dr. Missy Price, 
Brandon Milburn, your group recognizes and understands the cause here and the need to help spread the word. So we're very appreciative of the opportunities to share our message with your listeners. But, but like Dr. McKee said, we need to act now. So let's not wait. How can people help? Enroll at hits.org. If you're not eligible and to be eligible, again, 40 years or older and have played soccer or tackle football at any point in your life, youth only, even if you only played in the peewee leagues, five, seven, eight, nine years old, you can still enroll in this. Youth only, high school, college, or certainly beyond. And if you're not eligible, spread the word. Amplify this on your social media. Look for the United Soccer Coaches tweets about our podcast appearance and share that. Spread that forward. Spread the word to your former teammates, former players, parents. And if you want to be an ambassador, reach out to me. Shoot me an email, mrobuck, R-O-E-B-U-C-K at bu.edu. We'd love to have as many voices in this campaign as we can because that's what it's about. I've found that the more people learn about this and hear about this, they're likely to have been impacted on some level, either personally uh, themselves or a family member or a friend. Uh, you don't need to have had a concussion or been diagnosed with a concussion. You just need to be 40 years old or older and played soccer or tackle football at any level. And you can help us find answers for future generations at hits.org, H-I-T-S-S dot O-R-G. And Matt, the same way I saluted Dr. McKee, I salute your passion as well for joining this cause. You're welcome back anytime. I hope this will make another dent in getting to that 5,000 number and continuing to look into this all-important issue. Dr. McKee, an honor. And Matt Robach, thank you so much. Thank you. Impressive, impressive indeed. And certainly appreciate Dr. McKee sharing the story of Scott Vermillion, a name that many of us know in the soccer world. Wow. Impressive indeed. We end the show meeting the final member of the current United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class. And that means for the third consecutive year, we interviewed every single member of the class. We end with Josh Potter, a 30 Under 30 superstar. And we meet Josh after these messages. This is Dean Linke, longtime college soccer play-by-play man, reminding all college soccer coaches to amplify your upcoming season with the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Register now for the 2022-23 season and gain access to valuable resources you can use all season long. From educational programming to general liability insurance, the list of member benefits is endless. Make sure your program gets the recognition they deserve through All-America, Scholar All-America, Staff of the Year, and Team Awards available for college services members. Don't miss out. Early bird registration ends October 1st, so sign up today by going to unitedsoccercoaches.org. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. As you know, my favorite part of the show is we get to meet another member of our 30 under 30 class. And this is not just any member. This is a Hall of Famer. 
as soccer coach Josh Potter back on September 22nd, 2021, received two honors from his alma mater, Northwestern College, a Hall of Fame nomination and a Coach of the Year award, which is pretty cool. And Josh Potter joins me now. Josh, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Josh, here you are under 30 and you're already in a Hall of Fame at your alma mater, Northwestern College. Tell me about that. And then also tell me about this Coach of the Year award. First of all, I'm, I was just honored to have the opportunity to play. I want to give a, a big shout out to Dan Swear, my former coach and mentor. He's still a mentor for me. I was blown away when I got the phone call a year ago at this time. And when they told me that they nominated me, when they told me that, you know, the coach of the year nomination as well, I felt humbled and I felt like I didn't deserve it. Right. Like I was, I was too young and maybe a little bit too inexperienced, but at the same time, I look back at what, what I've been able to accomplish and the, the kids that have come through our program. And I remember I'm, I'm like, wow, like there have been some great, great times and great things that have happened. And and again, I just credit it all to the, the kids I've been able to coach and the mentors that I've had that grew me as a player as well. Well, clearly you had a big time playing career at Northwestern College. Tell us about what position you played. And I'm guessing you won a ton of awards. I'm not sure if you were a goal scorer or what you did, but you obviously put up some, some heady numbers. I actually, I was a, a center back. So I played in this back line and just really just held it down for us uh, with, with a couple of our other players in the back line. I had an opportunity, my junior and senior year to, to captain the team and did extremely well. Uh, we had a very successful year being ranked in the NAIA uh, my junior year. And my senior year, we, we dropped a couple games late uh, and got knocked out of playoffs um, really early on, which was a little bit disappointing for my senior year. But um, no, not a big goal scorer, but more of, uh, more of the leader side of things and more of just kind of the, the motivator. And, you know, I, you know obviously, my play would speak for itself, but I, you know, I didn't put up a lot of goals. It was kind of more from the corner kick uh, aspect of things, but more of the stopping of the goals, I would say. That makes sense. A lot of the best leaders, best coaches come from that back line. So that certainly does make sense. I do appreciate that you also played some basketball because I love basketball as well. Talk about uh, your time as a basketball player at Northwestern. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I developed a passion. So I grew up in Chicago and basketball is king here, right? So everybody plays basketball from a young age. You go to a park, everybody's got a pickup game going on. And, and so I developed that really early. And um, soccer was actually a second love for me. Uh, and until a coach told me, I think you're a little bit better at soccer. You should probably focus on that. And I didn't like hearing that because from Chicago, basketball is it. And so I didn't get the fans at soccer games in Chicago. And, and it was, you know, it wasn't the, the way it was now or the way it is now. Soccer just didn't have the popularity, right? So I was upset about that. But when I was at Northwestern, um, you know, it was a, I had an honor to to play on their team for a little bit. And then also... My coach came to me and said, hey, you're on scholarship. You got to make a decision. Um, so I chose soccer after a while and said, yeah, I'm committing my time fully, fully to you guys. Um, so I, I had a short career there, but uh, played throughout uh, high school as well. And, and as a two sport athlete, I think a lot of times I encourage my athletes to do something different because it gives you a different perspective. And it also gives you an opportunity to learn from a different coach. I think it's a, a thing that we're losing a lot of nowadays where we're making kids very individualized early on. And I'm, I'm a big believer in just getting out there and trying different things and find what you love. We're here with Josh Potter. So when is the actual Hall of Fame? Have you already been inducted? When does that happen? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it happened this past September. I went out there to receive the awards, to give a little bit of speech, see some people. It was, it was a really good time to get back there. And I hadn't been back since 
uh, I graduated. Northwestern College, it's located in Orange City, Iowa. So it's not a very easy commute uh, there from Chicago. It's a, a long drive through the heartland, if you will. And flying is still, you know, an hour and a half at any airport. So for, for me to make that trip, it was, it was very exciting to see what they've changed, see what they're doing. And not to mention, to give a shout out to that team this year, winning conference. Uh, it was amazing to go see that team and how when I've left, they've even gotten better and stronger and continue to get stronger. So, you know, shout out to them this year. That was awesome to see them play. So tell us about Northwestern College. What division is it? You already mentioned it's in yeah. Orange City, Iowa. What kind of school is it? Yeah, absolutely. So a Northwestern College is uh, NAIA school, liberal arts school, um, with the affiliation of uh, Christian background. So a lot of people don't know it um, because it is, a, you know, a smaller school. I didn't actually want to go there when I was looking at colleges. I looked at every other place but Northwestern College because actually my mother went there and I was a little... Uh, I was a little turned off by that, right? I didn't want to follow in my mom's footsteps. <laughs> but when I, when I actually went there, uh, my older brother was sophomore at the time when I was, you know, looking and he was playing on the team and he convinced me to come out and, and look at it and give him a chance. And when I did, I actually loved the opportunity that I had. Coach Swear is just a fantastic mentor, fantastic coach. The other coaches on staff at the time were amazing. And my teammates, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, I got to meet some people from, you know, around the world, from, you know, England to Brazil to Chile, and then just people all across the United States. And, and some of the, the guys that stood up in my, my wedding, some of the guys that are lifelong friends for you know, ever. And I just recently had a, a child and most of them FaceTime me or they've come and visited already. And so like, again, I say, I would not trade my time for the world. Coach, Coach Swear set it up as, you know, a very team oriented and he cared about the whole person. It wasn't just, Hey, you're a great soccer player and your attitude can be whatever. It's like, no, I want, I want the whole person. And therefore we're going to be successful because of that. You graduated in 2016. Clearly, you got the coaching bug early because I see here that you earned that coach of the year for your time at U High Boys soccer team, leading them to a state championship. I'm assuming that's somewhere near where you went to college in Orange City, Iowa. I'm not sure, but walk us through your coaching journey when you got the coaching bug and everywhere you've been and where you are now. Where I'm coaching now is University High School in Chicago, Illinois. So it's a it's a K through 12 that's attached to the University of Chicago, right? So one of the greatest institutions in the world uh, at the University of Chicago for research and medicine and all that stuff. So we have the luxury actually of partnering with the professors and the kids and the lawyers and all that stuff. So I'm very lucky to be at the place that I'm at for coaching. So I, I started my time teaching uh, and coaching in the public schools in Chicago. I really had a passion for giving back into the community that I grew up in. And Chicago's known for, you know, really for people who are not from here, it's, it's a dangerous city, right? People always think about that, but I wanted it to change. I wanted people to, to think about the city in a different way. Uh, and then with that, soccer's not big here. And so I wanted to come back here and see what I could do to give back into the community. So my first teaching job, actually, they didn't have a soccer team. So I coached basketball and I actually ran a club for soccer on the side uh, with those kids, introducing them, getting them cleats, getting them balls, getting them pennies, just so we could run some scrimmages and stuff. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, this opportunity at the University of Chicago came available and I jumped at it. And then shortly thereafter, they offered me the opportunity to coach both the boys and the girls teams. And 
very fortunate, the players that I've been able to coach some, some going on to play, some have gone on to be very successful in life and, and just across the board, some great people. So I'm, I'm extremely honored. And yeah, that 2019 year, I'll be honest that 2017 and 2018 year, we fell a little bit short of winning the state title those years. But I'd argue that those teams were just as good as that 2019 year. We just, uh, you know, we finally capped it off a great year with that state title. You've had a great several years, particularly with the birth of your first child as well, right? <laughs> Everything's going great for you, coach. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes I joke with my wife and I say, you know, at some point the storm's coming. So we got to prepare, right? <laughs> No, I don't think it is. Good things happen to good people, and you certainly fit that mode. And obviously, being a part of the 30 under 30 class is a good thing. Tell us uh, when you realized how great United Soccer Coaches is and what made you want to be a part of this class. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a kind of an internship with my coach when I was a senior in college. Dan Swear, like I've mentioned before, and and he was a member of the United Soccer Coaches, and he's been for a while. And so he he actually put me in contact with how to sign up for courses and how to just learn from the different things that are going on. The convention, for example, and I went to my first convention that very first year with him, and I was struck. Like I just wanted everything and. I didn't want it to end. I wanted every speaker to continue talking. And at the end of the the weekend, I felt more energized than I've ever felt as a coach in my entire life. And I couldn't wait for the next year. So I kept telling them, I was like, I got to get a part of this association because they're doing some good things. And I love the mission of it, right? So there's different organizations that are trying different missions, but I love that United Soccer Coaches are specifically for coaches trying to grow themselves in the game. And they're trying to grow the kids at every level. This is not just professionals. This is not just college and the elites, right? This is the grassroots. These are the kids that we're really trying to get to love the game. And we're trying to give them the pieces to these coaches to continue to grow these kids. And that's when I knew that mission, I was like, I want to be a part of this. I want, this is exactly aligns with what I believe in as well. Wow. What a great young man you are, Josh Potter. And, and by the way, did you have a boy or a girl and what's the name? A little boy, Weston Joshua Potter is his name. So be on the lookout. I already called Greg Birdhalter. Um, so he's going to be on the ups. So, <laughs> well, yeah. you're, you're in the right city to, to be close to Greg Birdhalter, right? With U.S. soccer being right there in Chicago, right? You're certainly aware of that, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, we actually were just looking at a, a new house to buy. And uh, right across the street was the, the Federation. And one of our selling points, I said to my wife, I was like, we're right there. Like we have to buy this house. And she was like, that is not a plus for me. And I'm like, you don't have the bug. Like I have the bug. I need to be there. So we didn't end up buying that house, but she still runs that side of things. I was one of the first three people to work in the U S soccer house, actually way back in the early 1990s, probably before you were born. So a lot of history at uh, us soccer house for sure. And I know they, they've totally revamped that area, right? It's beautiful there now. Right. It is. Yeah. The south side of the city is really growing and especially that south loop. So there, I mean, just a huge neighborhood has grown and, you know, they've really developed. They put up different arenas. Yeah. It's a really beautiful side of the city. You've already accomplished so much. If you've heard any of my interviews with the 30 under 30, I always ask that crystal ball question on where you want to be in 15 years. Do you have a good idea, Josh Potter, on what you want to be doing in 15 years? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Sometimes, you know, my wife and I will be on a walk and, and she'll ask me that question as well. It's like, Josh, what do you, what do you think about your, you know, your career? What do you want to be? And I always answer the question where I'm at right now. I love what I do, but 
I can see myself doing everything and loving everything because I just love people. I love kids. I love giving back. So if I were to give you a definitive answer on where I want to be, to be honest with you, what I want to do is I want to get more kids into the game in the city of Chicago. I want to give back. So I started a nonprofit organization a year ago with a couple of my former players. And if I were to be honest, I want that to grow. I want kids to get into the game at a young age. I want them to get into the game to love it. I want to bring coaches in for the right reasons. So for me, like if I could, that's what I want to do. I want to run that full time. I want to bring that to other cities. I want the kids to love the game. And I don't want it to cost a lot because there's a lot of kids in our city that can't afford playing at these high level clubs. And there's not a lot of scholarships to be had. And so I think there's a lot more talent out there. And I think the game's going to grow for us as coaches. I think the game's going to grow for us as the U.S., right? And I want us to win a World Cup someday. So I want to be a part of that, right? I feel like you also appreciate the people that paved the way for you. Do you have some mentors you definitely want to plug? You've said some names already, but who are some key people that have made a difference in your life? One of the mentors that I had, it was one of my coaches, um, Dan Swear, absolutely. Uh, another coach that I had in high school, Kevin Bruni. He's a coach now in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He calls me probably every month just to check in, gives me really good just content of just how to coach kids and not take yourself too seriously, but really coach the whole child. Two more, Dave Ribbons, my athletic director. He uh, was a former coach himself in soccer. And every idea that I bring to him, every crazy thing, every trip, every journey that I, I, I would you know, bring to him, he's all about it. He wants to support us. He wants to give us what we can and, and bring these kids into the game. And then my last one is my brother. My brother is a college coach. And to be honest, I've looked up to him my whole life. And to see him be successful, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, I might've gotten this award, but really like he's the guy that I look up to. And he is well beyond what I am as a coach. And for me, I glean a lot from him. So I have to give him a shout out in that regard as well, because he's always a guy I'm calling like, oh, I'm stuck. What is, how do you run an activity like this? They're not understanding this concept. And so his mind is so developed in that way. And, and to be honest with you, I would, I would love to coach with him someday, to be honest. That would be fantastic. I like to give legs and promote special things. And you already mentioned your non-for-profit. Can you uh, tell people where they can find it and what it's all about and where they can find it on social media or on, on the web? So we're called Shy Athletics right now. So it's called Change, Hope, and Inspire Athletics. So our goal is to bring in not just soccer, but all of these sports, right? Basketball, swimming, lacrosse. We want to bring in all these sports across our city because the city of Chicago right now is just, it's struggling. And then we just need, we want to give it hope, right? And we want to change. And we want to be part of that change and not just talk about it, but be about it. We're actually in the process right now of partnering with the university teams at the University of Chicago to where we can have the players be coaches for these younger kids in our nonprofit. So this next spring will be our first full session. So we ran some stuff over the summer for kids this past summer, but our first spring session where we're going to run a 12 week kind of introductory to soccer for the South side of Chicago is, is happening. So yeah, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and we do have a website, uh, shyathletics.org as well. So be on the lookout where, you know, we're a new organization, but I think we're, we're hitting the right chords with the city and, and, making partnerships in the right way. So we're excited about that. And so when you say shy, you mean shy for Chicago, C-H-I, right? Yeah, kind of that acronym, right? So change, hope, and inspire, but also we're shy city here, so. Okay, perfect. In our final 30 seconds, when you hear these three words, tell me what it means to you. And those three words are United Soccer Coaches. An organization that supports 
organization that develops and, and it cares about the game. And so I'm excited to be a part of something like that. And I'm excited to bring more people in and, and to be involved and grow the game this way. Incredible career already and already in a hall of fame. That's really awesome. Coach, uh, you're doing great things in Chicago. I'm in Chicago a lot working for the big 10 network. I may look you up as well, coach. Thanks so much for being on the United soccer coaches podcast. Thank you, Dean very much. All right. Can you believe it for the third year in a row with that interview right there of Mr. Potter, who was so inspiring we have interviewed every single member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class for the last three years. There's a new class coming. That means more impressive young men and women to meet. I want to thank Remy Mays especially for making it happen to get all of these 30 Under 30s on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Well done, Remy. Also, well done, Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, and everybody at United Soccer Coaches. Always like to thank my producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them. And all of you, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.